Hi, and welcome back to The Secret Life of Parkinson's. I'm Jessica Krauser, and I'm with Dr. Patel. Hello. And Brian uh, Baker. <laughs> you, you can confuse Steve now. I confuse Steve. I'm sorry. That's okay. But no, we have Dr. Patel with us again. Yeah, he's, We're both he's super excited. He's kicked you out because he's got a lot of things to say. Oh. We have a lot of questions for him. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for coming. Of course, my pleasure. I really appreciate I it. I always enjoy coming. Thank we you. are uh, we're gonna jump right in. We have um, uh, one topic in particular that people have asked about, and there's a couple things that we'll probably build in this. But I actually didn't know what this was until just earlier when you mentioned what it what the the what the definition of it is. But there's Parkinson's disease, and then there's it can mask as other things as well. So MSA is one of them. And mm -hmm. what's that? What does MSA stand for again? So MSA stands for multiple systems atrophy. Okay. So talk about the differences between Parkinson's disease and people with MSA. Right. So it's whenever I'm diagnosing a patient with Parkinson's, I always tell them, you know, nobody can ever say you 100% have Parkinson's disease unless they cut open your brain, slice into pieces, look at a microscope. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to do that. Right. So there are lots of things that could look, act, and mimic like Parkinson's, but it's not Parkinson's itself, MSA being one of them. MSA is a, it's multiple system atrophy. It is what we call like an alpha synucleinopathy. In other words, it's, it's that same abnormal protein that um, can affect, that potentially is what the cause of Parkinson's is. It's similar in uh, MSA patients, but it affects different parts of the body and it causes them to have different types of symptoms, although it may mimic Parkinson's. So um, most patients with, with MSA, what you would notice is that, so our, our autonomic nervous system, which is part of our nervous system that helps regulate things like your blood pressure, your heart rate, um, your bowel movements, drooling, things like that, mm -hmm. um, it, it helps regulate that. And it causes, MSA specifically will have this, uh, their autonomic nervous system will be very, very, affected and in more affected than a parkinson patient so msa patients they're they they they're more affected by this autonomic their autonomic nervous system autonomic is more affected system. more affected okay. yeah it, it 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 causes the autonomic nervous system to kind of start failing and parkinson which patients, is what again the blood pressure blood pressure bowel movements uh, drooling sweating uh swallowing that sort of okay. stuff uh, so MSA patients uh, and Parkinson patients can have these things. It's part of the non-motor features of Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. uh, they could have drooling. They could have dizziness. They could have, con and you know, most patients have constipation. Yeah. That's all part of Parkinson's as well. But an MSA patient, what you would likely notice is that that stuff is much more productive. That's what's affecting them much more. And even though you're trying to, you although currently to date. There's no actual diagnostic test to differentiate between the two. Uh, you can, uh, if you may start thinking about MSA, if usually in the first few years of diagnosis, they start really exhibiting these symptoms more, or you put them on carbidopa levodopa, which, you know, one of the side effects of carbidopa levodopa is that it could drop your blood pressure. Uh, and these patients, even on very, very low doses, that will impact them much greater hmm. uh, than a Parkinson patient would. Uh, there are certain MRI findings to help differentiate between the two. It's called uh, the hot cross bun sign. So if you think of like a hot cross bun, 
and <laughs> the back of the brain uh, down in the in the medulla and pons area you could see on an MRI uh, there actually is like a like it looks like a hot cross bun like okay. a cross uh, and if you see that on imaging and it's pretty and along taking that along with the clinical features of what mm-hmm. you're seeing in the patient, you could kind of say, okay, maybe this is more MSA. There are studies going on currently looking at different uh, potential blood markers and spinal fluid markers that we hope could help differentiate between the two. Yeah, because what about the one that we just learned about this year of this, the, um, I know it's just a spinal fluid right now that they can almost determine if it's Parkinson's that you have or not. Exactly. Does that differentiate between MSA and Parkinson's? Because it helps diagnose Parkinson's. So, so, so if somebody like so if somebody thought that they had Parkinson's, but they're starting to maybe go more towards the side of like, having the MSA symptoms, and they got this spinal fluid test, mm-hmm. and it showed like nothing was Parkinson's, like that's how it would show up if they were truly MSA. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and then they would have, you know, and and you still, you know, ultimately, like you know, you tell your patients, look, we're still going to manage you the same way. We're we're going to try. You try carbidopa If you start noticing, you know, they're having more side effect than benefit. Okay, you could potentially wear off. There are certain MSA patients, subtypes of MSA patients, that still get response from levodopa, and so they're still on minimal dosing. It's just you're you're going to be mon- monitoring them more carefully with the potential that they may have more uh, eventually have more side effect than benefit and you may need to take them off uh, the medicine like what other side effects would an msa um patient have on carbidopa levodopa besides the blood pressure mainly the blood pressure okay yeah mainly the blood pressure but like it becomes very significant like my msa patients you know their blood pressure will drop to like you know 40 over 20 like Wow. Yeah, drastic. It's it's huge, wow. and 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 some of them are like yeah, and and of course the the biggest thing is they they pass out, mm-hmm. um, and could potentially hurt themselves. So mm-hmm. so you have to be very very cautious uh, using uh, levodopa, and most of those patients will not respond. They won't get the motor benefits of of levodopa and they will only experience the potential side effect mm. and and so you wouldn't want to give it to them uh, do msa patients have the the motor issues that parkinson's mm-hmm. patients do they so they say they have all yep, that too yep they could have tremor they could have slowness stiffness that's mm. that's all part of it it's just this component of the nervous stronger. system is stronger mm-hmm. is more affected mm-hmm. that's interesting i've never even it heard of it the joys of uh parkinsonisms yes yeah and in Parkinson patients, again, they could have autonomic dysfunction. They could have their blood pressure dropping and things like that. And a lot of Parkinson patients, you know, they may be diagnosed with high blood pressure before they were diagnosed with Parkinson's and they're on blood pressure meds. And mm-hmm. so when this starts happening, you know, step one is to be like, well, maybe you don't need your blood pressure pill anymore because now your Parkinson's or your Parkinson's meds is sort of taking care of the blood pressure for you. And so you may you know, need to talk to your primary doctor about coming off your blood pressure pills because now you're starting to experience some, you know, if you stand up too quickly, you get really lightheaded. Um, that's happening a little bit more frequently. And I have patients, you know, take your blood pressure when you're seated and then stand up and take it again. If your top number is dropping by more than 20 points, that's an indication that you have what we call orthostatic hypotension, where your blood pressure drops when you stand up. Mm-hmm. And if that's happening, then we, you know, we need to start making adjustments. You don't want to. You want to be careful of going up on giving a more carbidopa levodopa because this could potentially get worse. Um, so you want to stabilize the blood pressure first before you give that patient more levodopa. 
Uh, and there are multiple different there are op- medication options to help stabilize that. Their non-medication options mm-hmm. work actually probably even a little bit better. There, if you get, you know, most people say get compression stockings, but actually probably what you really want is more of an abdominal binder. Hmm. So if you go to a medical supply store and you get an abdominal binder, so you tighten this. So if you tighten this, it increases pressure here, increases pressure here, and then it lets blood flow get to the brain better. So it helps regulate the uh, blood pressure much better. Interesting. So yeah, so abdominal binders are like. You're so much to think about. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I guess it was overwhelming. Yeah, a lot it is of wrong. It's right. Well, so and I'm 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 not looking at my phone to be to be rude. There's actually questions on here, mm-hmm. um, but so um, the one who asked me about the um, you know is there anything patients can be doing to counter some of the autonomic dysfunctions that Parkinson's causes? You know, thinking the hypotension, heart rate, sweating type issues, etc. She for sure I has Parkinson's. She had the she has a gene. She mm-hmm. carries the gene for it. So if she's experiencing those symptoms, what does that mean? Like, like again, again, these symptoms can still be part of Parkinson's. Okay. So it, it's not like Park. If you have these symptoms, you don't have Parkinson's. It's all part of Parkinson's as well. Um, and she just may be more sensitive to it. And so you know, step one is is these things. So if she's experiencing blood pressure issues, things like that. Look at her medication list. Make mm-hmm. sure that there isn't anything that also is contributing. Uh, you know, for male patients, if they have prostate issues, a lot of the prostate meds also drop your blood pressure. And so there's mm-hmm. multiple factors that could be contributing. Um, you know, drooling, we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's also this autonomic dysfunction. That's part of it. And we do injections of botulinum toxin for drooling, which can help. Uh, the binder can help significantly to help regulate blood pressure and heart rate. Um, if you're starting to experience swallowing issues, it's important to get swallow testing done uh, to make sure, because you don't want to be silently aspirating and that could cause mm-hmm. more problems. Um, so if you're experiencing that, to get evaluated by speech therapists and, and get swallow, swallowing testing done. Does DBS, like, does that ha- help any, auto- I don't know, I cannot say, auto <laughs> Autonomic. Autonomic. Yeah. Does DBS help with any of that? No. Okay. DBS, keep in mind, it's it's the main role for DBS is to give you whatever benefits you get from levodopa. So if there are patients who mm-hmm. notice that, hey, when they're wearing off, they're sweating. Mm-hmm. When they're wearing off, they're drooling. And then they take the levodopa and that stuff stops. Mm-hmm. Then Yes. Okay. Right, because technically mm-hmm. levodopa is treating those symptoms for that. Mm-hmm. But regardless of how much, when, where you are in your levodopa during the day, you're drooling, you're dropping your blood pressure, your heart rate, you're sweating, whatnot. No, it's not going to, because levodopa doesn't impact that. Hmm. Interesting. Um. <laughs> your your teardrops again. <laughs> There was the other, what was the other thing with MSA that was connected that we were talking about? Um, there are recent, there are uh, skin biopsy testing mm-hmm. that you could, uh, certain centers are doing that could potentially help differentiate uh, Parkinson's from from uh, MSA or um, another one is what we call progressive supernuclear palsy. That's another Parkinson-like condition that uh, is different than What's the other called? two. Uh, it's called PSP, okay. which is progressive supranuclear palsy. 
um, they have, you know, they are, they're a group that has a totally different constellation of symptoms uh, that's unrelated to, they look very much Parkinsonian, have similar Parkinson-like things, but they tend to fall, fall backwards, primarily fall backwards. They fall very frequently. Um, they also may not respond to levodopa. Most of them eventually, if they do respond initially, they'll stop responding. Um, do they fall backwards like right like initially or is it after mm -hmm. they've okay no yeah they'll come to you saying you know they're falling frequently falling. and every time they fall it's usually predominantly backwards hmm. okay wow that's really interesting i didn't know that like because there's and these aren't just these are just two of the are they all called parkinsonism so there's this neurodegenerative parkinsonisms and there are five in total so there's parkinson's disease MSA, PSP, Lewy body disease, mm -hmm. and cortical basilar degeneration. What was the last one? Cortical basilar degeneration. What's so that? CBD. That's actually where actually one part of your brain starts atrophying, and it's, they start looking like Parkinson's, uh, but half of their body uh, will start having a lot more dystonias, a lot more tightness, and they'll stay contracted, and they start getting cortical features of the brain, meaning. They'll start having like speech issues, like aphasia, where they can't really speak, uh, hmm. sensory issues, uh, and it's predominantly just one half of the body. It's one half of the brain that's starting to de degenerate, um, and uh, so and they these other ones that are not Parkinson's disease itself. Unfortunately, there is no specific treatments for the other ones. They tend to have a faster progression, mm -hmm. um, and um, and because there's there's no actual specific treatment like, you know, we have levodopa for our Parkinson's disease. We don't have those specific things for those other conditions mm -hmm. right now. Um, so it makes it, um, it's, they're unfortunate yeah. diseases. Oh, I actually do have other um, topics and questions, but mm -hmm. I'd like to almost, let's, let's, let's take a short break. Steve, can we take a break and we'll like... Dive back in. We'll dive back in yeah. in just a moment. So we took a quick break. We were talking to Dr. Patel um, uh, in our previous episode about MSA versus PD um, versus PSP. So kind of like all the different variations uh, that things that can look like Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. Now we want to talk about um, the difference between the differences with dementia. So dementia is, I would say, what, like the category? Right. right. So dementia is just the symptom. Right. So okay. you think of dementia as having memory issues. So what I tell my patients usually is, you know, after the age of 30, everyone's brain starts to shrink. Mm -hmm. So there is That's this, really kind of sad. After 30? Right. So there's this normal age-related memory issues, right? Forget where you put your keys. You walk into the room. What, what do I come here mm -hmm. for? Like, you know, those sort of things, very, very typical for age. And but then, you can remember every 1980 song that you ever heard. <laughs> right. Word right. word, you can repeat it's usually short-term. Yeah, because you can repeat every word from... A 1980 song, but you can't remember where you left your keys. Right. That is interesting. Or like name. So naming is the first thing. Uh, people people come to me for like saying they have memory issues because they can't remember names. And they're like, very, that's an age thing. It's mm -hmm. very common. Um, and then there's a the question, well, what is not normal for age? And that's where these uh, neurodegenerative uh, dementia-like things come into play. No, the most common neurodegenerative disorder is Alzheimer's more than Parkinson's, right? Mm -hmm. So Alzheimer's disease uh, is the most common. And then you have Parkinson's dementia, you have Lewy body dementia, 
uh, your frontal temporal dementia. So there, there are different categories of different type vascular dementia. There's different types of dementias that are that are out there. So let me ask you this: just because you have Parkinson's, that does or does not mean that you will get Parkinson's dementia. Does not. Can you have Parkinson's disease and get a different kind of dementia? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Just because the, you have Parkinson's doesn't protect you from getting Alzheimer's. So what's right. Parkinson's dementia versus Alzheimer's? So Parkinson's dementia is a condition. Usually patients have Parkinson's for at least probably 10 years, I'd say. Okay. Uh, where they have the motor features. They go through their ups and downs. They, they you know, they're progressing. And not from diagnosis, 10 years of the symptoms. Usually symptoms, okay. yeah. And then you start noticing. So the, the common uh, key points for Parkinson's dementia is usually hallucinations um not medication related disease related both oh both okay. so usually they're they would say you know they're very stable on their meds mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you know hallucinations are picking up paranoia paranoia specifically towards the significant other hmm. so they, they tend to kind of latch on or be like you know if the significant other's at the grocery store or, or getting things you know you may get called all the time saying where are you? What are you doing? Mm -hmm. you, you know, and, and there's this, this par paranoia related to that. There is this, you know, impulse control disorder where, you know, excessive mm -hmm. shopping, eating, gambling, those sort of things may start kicking in. Hmm. Um, but most of the time, Parkinson's dementia patients are aware that this is happening and, and they will tell you that this is happening hmm. uh, compared to, say, an Alzheimer's patient who generally Alzheimer's patients don't have the insight mm -hmm. to the fact that they're having issues. It's everyone else telling you that, hey, you know, they don't remember, they, that's not true, they don't remember. They, and they're, they think life is completely fine. Like they're, they're perfectly fine. They can drive, they can live alone, they can yeah. do this. And everyone's like, no, they can't. And, and so that there's, there's, there's those key differences. So an Alzheimer's, a pure Alzheimer's patient isn't gonna have obviously the motor symptoms associated with Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so a Parkinson's disease, the Parkinson's dementia patient is going to have Parkinson's. They're going to have go through their motor symptoms and non-motor symptoms, usually at least for about 10 years. And then you're going to start noticing some more short-term issues, just slower processing, like with Parkinson's, everything slows down, mm -hmm. right? So whether you notice like they're just, it's just, it takes you longer to like get the word out, what you're thinking about, or like, you know, what was the topic or whatnot. Is it like um, more executive functioning? Usually. Okay. Um, and then you may start noticing, uh, again, the whether it's, and most of the time the hallucinations are not bothersome for the patient. They're mm -hmm. like, you know, they're, small little bunnies or cute kids or whatnot and they're, they're fine with it like yeah i see that that's that's fine and they know it's not real mm -hmm. they understand it it's you you act on it or you treat it whenever the patients are saying whenever they're acting on it so they're calling the police because their kids in the yard mm -hmm. that shouldn't be there or they're out chasing things that are not there mm -hmm. right so that that you want to kind of address and treat but those are extremes are but that's not louis body Louis body is you could have that, but you have that much earlier. So usually okay. if you're going, you're going to think about Louis body disease is either they're having memory issues before they started having their motor symptoms or they had their motor symptoms. And usually within the first four or five years, just like differentiating MSA, PSP, Parkinson's, Louis bodies looped into that category. 
is that within the first four to five years of diagnosis or before their motor symptoms, they're going to start realizing that they're already hallucinating. They're having memory issues. Mm. Uh, REM behavioral disorder, which is where you yell, scream, shout in your sleep. You're acting out vivid dreams in your sleep. The patient has no idea they're doing it. Usually the significant other is taking the brunt of it and is getting hit and kicked and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that stuff is happening much earlier um, than it would for a Parkinson's disease patient. So if you they start noticing, if you start noticing that, or you know your doctor generally should be asking you these questions mm-hmm. at every visit, whether you're doing this. Um, and if you start noticing, okay, you know you were just your tremor just started a year ago or why not, and you're already on you know minimal meds and you're starting to hallucinate, you're starting to this, mm-hmm. you're starting to question whether this may be Lewy body disease. Um, but you, within the first first few years or on minimal medications and it's starting to happen already. But Parkinson's disease patients, when they start doing it, you know, it, and like you mentioned, it could be medication related. So step one is always try to minimize the amount of meds that you mm-hmm. possibly need. Because uh, a lot of, if you look at any of the Parkinson's disease medication side effects, it's going to be hallucinations. It's going to be, you know, all these things are all going to be there. So step one is, try to clear out the water as much as possible. The The least amount, uh, the medication that causes the least amount of side effects is carbidopa levodopa. So when my Parkinson patients are starting to do this and it's becoming a problem, step one is to get rid of anything that is not carbidopa levodopa. Okay. And sort of, because those meds are probably now at this point causing more side effect than benefit. Okay. So you clear up the water, whether you need to give them more levodopa to replace it, depending on how their motor symptoms are going, you can. But usually at that point, their motor systems have stabilized and so you could get rid of a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of maintain them on just a regimen of carbidopa levodopa. And then if they're still having issues, you could talk about, there, there are lots of different options in terms of treating memory issues and, and uh, hallucinations and REM behavior disorder. Wow. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> That's Brian's that biggest thing all day today. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, there is a lot. There's just a lot to take in there. And it's mm-hmm. a lot to, it's a lot to worry about. And it's a lot to be think about. It is. But I, I think like that's, that's why, I mean, I, I, I started researching it myself because, you know, I see different things with different Parkinson's patients and I'm, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know any of the stuff, You're but I, I just, no, I know. <laughs> Dr. Joss, that would be nice. Um, but, you know, I question these things not for myself, you know, yeah. or at least not yet, but for See, this like... this is why I don't do research. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you never have any questions to ask. <laughs> um, no, but like, you know, just to help other people going through it, because to your point with, with Alzheimer's, your family members or friends are seeing it, Correct. right? And yes. they're the ones, you know, telling you or talking to the doctor. But like for Parkinson's dementia, if they're the one, like if that patient can knows knows that it's happening, do their is it something that their caregivers then don't necessarily see? No, they they can, and, and it's not like the Parkinson patient may they may be seeing it, but in they denial? may be they may be in denial or or they don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times it is that it's like I would ask the patient, "Oh, are you hallucinating?" and they would say, "Yeah, yes, I am," and the family member would be like, "Wait, what?" Mm-hmm. You know, like you never say it, and because they're they don't want to say it, they're embarrassed by it, they're scared. Yeah, 
right? And so, um, so it's but but they have insight to their disease, mm-hmm. right? And and but it it can come to a point if you had Parkinson's for so long that you do lose that insight. Um, and again, just because you have Parkinson's doesn't prevent you from getting Alzheimer's. So, you know, I do have patients that they have Parkinson's, they're, they're stable, all of a sudden there's this rapid, fast decline in their cognition and their memory. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, okay, well, maybe there's something else going on here besides just Parkinson's. Uh, and they just go downhill really fast and, and, and that may be um, whether, whether something else is going on. Now, a Parkinson patient, again, is gonna be much more sensitive to certain things. So if a Parkinson patient is admitted to the hospital uh, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they may become delirious. So mm-hmm. there's delirium versus dementia. Delirium is temporary. Delirium is just confusion that isn't going to be permanent. And delirium can happen much more commonly in Parkinson patient and just because you become delirious after a surgery or you're in the hospital, why am I here? What's going on? That doesn't mean, oh my God, you have Parkinson's dementia. Mm-hmm. That's temporary. That's from the stress that the brain is going through because of a UTI or a surgery or whatnot. Mm-hmm. That will resolve and you'll go back to kind of how you were. Mm-hmm. Um, de- when the dementia kicks in, that's sort of this starting this progression downwards uh, that doesn't necessarily resolve per se. Mm-hmm. We could try to slow it down with meds. We could try to stabilize it. You know, I tell patients, you know, dementia medications are there because you're starting to see this slope going down of this patient's, you know, your family members declining. And the idea is then to sort of lessen that slope. Mm-hmm. And that's all the med is really doing is sort of making it so it's not just this rapid decline, but rather just a slower progression. So do you think... Um you know, like what a lot of what we do and what we hear from people that watch is, you know, they're not educated on a lot of different topics that we're bringing up, which we're, we're not educated on them either, which is why we asked the question. But um, I get, I don't know why I never thought like you can have Parkinson's and get Alzheimer's as something separate. Mm-hmm. Do, do, when, have you had patients that you've had to diagnose them with mm-hmm. the other and were they like shocked? Like, well, so the Parkinson patient, unfortunately, if they get, so again, with Alzheimer's, you lose the insight. So the patient doesn't realize it, mm-hmm. right? So they, they think I have Parkinson's and life is fine. Yeah. And everyone's like, no, it's not fine. Yeah. They're now, this is what's happening for them. Just give me a shot. <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean that's that's you you me right? Yeah. It, it, that's the yeah, case. Yeah, Derek and I will take care of you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't want anybody to take care of me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll it's take care like of you. A, put a pillow. No. It's one of those like okay, I have Parkinson's. I'm done. Nothing yeah. else is well, going to happen. Well, but that's the thing. Like, but my yeah, question like, is, I can't get I can't get cancer. I can't. I have Parkinson's. I'm right, I'm, I'm right. indestructible now. Still, but the thing is, like, so I know you said, you know, that their caregiver, somebody will say, no, there's other things going on, but there are some caregivers that are in denial themselves, so they're just focusing solely on Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. Or could they be overlooking the Alzheimer's piece? Of course. And, and that's, but usually whenever, whenever you have that rapid decline, it's hard to overlook it. So, like, you would notice it? Yeah. Okay. Because you're, you're obviously, you're... You're afraid for your loved one, right? You're scared for their safety. Yeah. Um, and and you're scared to leave them alone because what if they leave the stove on? What if mm-hmm. they start 
walking around outside wandering yeah. in, in the middle of winter. Um, and you, you start realizing that I, I need to be more present mm-hmm. uh, because I, I don't feel like they're safe. Right. And, uh, and so a lot of my Alzheimer's patients, it's usually the situation where the care- and the caregivers are actually sometimes afraid to bring it up Mm-hmm. Right, because the patient's gonna say no, I'm fine, yeah. and then it leads to obviously there's arguments then, and you become you know, there are issues. So they would. Uh, it's funny because what would happen most of the time is I will usually get a note or letter before my appointment yeah. from the family member yeah. saying, "Hey, I need you to bring this up because mm-hmm. they're scared." So I have to be the bad guy and bring it up. Yeah. Be like, "Hey, I hear you're doing this," and they're like, "No," I'm like, "Well, I think it's happening." <laughs> And you need to kind of address it. And the family members just quiet, like, I didn't say it. But Mm -hmm. they did. Yeah. (laughs) And so... uh, But I think it's important for people to know that they can do that, too. Yes. And that's sometimes the only way and the best way to get around that awkward... Right. And and ultimately, everyone's goal is always the same, right? Is, is Is to protect and take care of the patient, their safety and their health. Right, and and that's the goal, and that's what everyone's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and loved ones are, are doing the same thing, and caregivers, are, and you know, with dementia, a lot of times, you know, the the biggest thing and the biggest impact is caregiver burden. Right, mm-hmm. right? like caregivers are the ones that are much more, af- not much more affected, but but they are they're they're living with the day to day. I'm seeing this patient once every few months for. Mm-hmm half an hour, whatnot, right? That's my impact. But that patient's going home to their loved ones and, and they're the ones that are like having to deal with this. Okay, remember, you can't leave. You can't do this. You have, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're they're the ones that are constantly repeating themselves. They're the ones that are constantly, you know, they have to go through that and live that life. And it, it becomes very, very difficult. So from a caregiver standpoint, like if you were to share with, people today like what are things that they should look for to then talk to the neurologist at the next appointment to maybe determine is it alzheimer's is it pd dementia so parkinson's dementia again if you start as a caregiver if you start realizing that uh, your loved one parkinson's is like you know wow they they keep calling me they keep saying you know they're like oh you've been gone for too long where were you what are you doing like something that's inappropriate or that's not out of the norm yeah um obviously bring it up if you start realizing that they are they're hallucinating if you can't stay in the same bed with them because you're being attacked while you're sleeping oh with the arm with the REM behavior disorder right like that's you know that's still a quality of life thing yeah you, you want to be in bed with your significant other you don't want to sleep in a separate room yeah. and if that's a, the patient doesn't know they're doing it and, yeah. and that's happening and so uh you, you want to kind of bring that up and address it like hey i'm you know i'm being kicked and punched and mm-hmm. hit and so they're the ones that are losing sleep the Parkinson patient's sleeping just fine. They're doing this mm. during their sleep. Well, that's opposite of my house. I mean, Derek's getting great sleep, and I'm up every five hours or every two hours. So um, you want to so you want to bring that kind of stuff up. Um, if it's Alzheimer's, obviously, uh, certain things to bring up. One thing with Parkinson specifically, if they're especially if they're on like dopamine agonists or certain medications, the impulse control thing. Parkinson patients may not realize they're doing it. They're craving sweets. They're increasing gambling they may be slightly more hypersexual they may start spending more money than they normally would be um 
and it's we we as clinicians physicians we rely on caregivers to tell us hey they're they're doing this yeah. this is happening more frequently than 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 what's normal for them um and, and what's normal in general and and then we need to address it because i've had patients who unfortunately you know they went through their retirement they went through their life savings yeah. without the caregiver even knowing that 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 this happened uh there are patients i had a patient just the other day who he answers phone calls and just starts giving out his bank account information to take donations to random people. Like, oh, I'm just donating to this cause. And the spouse like, well, what was it? Like, what do you mean? And they're on certain meds that, mm-hmm. that that's happening and they think they're just doing a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but you so, have to be cautious. So to that point, I know we've brought, we've talked about this topic a number of times because that happened to me. I was on Rupinerol and mm-hmm. I, but what I want people to know is it doesn't have to just be gambling or shopping. Oh. It, mine was work. Right. I was on my computer 24 hours like throughout the night, and I would lie to my husband about what time I came to bed, and I was downstairs in my office. It's anything you enjoy doing, and now you can't stop. Yeah, right. and that you tell yourself you right. can. Well, I can turn yeah. this off. It's, I just have a lot to do. Like I have a patient who like just decided to like redo his bathroom floor for no reason whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And that was part of it, because like, wife was like, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Or like Home Depot once in a while, but now would come home with like truckloads of stuff every day for wow. no reason whatsoever. Yeah. And it's stuff he enjoys, which is great. <laughs> he wanted to remodel his house. He can, I know. He my, can, right? can go <laughs> into my house all you want. <laughs> my colleagues and agency partners right. loved it. They're like, you were getting shit stuff done like <laughs> yeah. left and right. I'm like, yeah, it was, it was very good. <laughs> yeah. And but it's it, they had to be careful because they're like, He's spending so much money by doing this that was not safe. So not having trouble or not being able to recall a name, a show, an actor is not a sign. No, that is, is not a sign. So, <laughs> okay. That is normal. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just normal. Okay. That's normal. Yeah. Um, Parkinson patients, obviously, you're just going to be, you You do have this neurodegenerative condition going on in your brain. We do? So, <laughs> <laughs> shoot. <laughs> so anything that's going to cause some sort of cognitive side effect, you may be a little bit more sensitive to compared mm-hmm. to somebody else, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, I, I think you guys had talked about, did you talk about marijuana and Parkinson's already? Was the topic. We... We've dabbled. We dabbled. In, we, we haven't. It, it, that needs to be a separate topic. But yeah. yeah. But but the, but that's something I talk to my patients about. It's like you know, yes, it has its role. There are definitely lots of health benefits to doing it. Um, but you you are someone that may be more sensitive to potential cognitive side effects of it compared right. to someone mm-hmm. who doesn't have this neurodegenerative disease in their brain. Yeah. Uh, so something to kind of always keep that in mind is you you may be more sensitive. So that's that's where step one is always. You know, when you're starting to have these issues, let's let's clear the water. Let's, yeah. let's clear up the muddy water. Let's get rid of whatever we possibly could get rid of uh, and see how you do with that. This is great. I, <laughs> <laughs> I feel awesome about my future. No, so let's, uh, let's end on like a positive note. Don't you have any good questions out there that um, you can like... Uh, um, like a, no. uh, was a question. There... What was a good question? Constipation. <laughs> or... Oh, this was a good question. I, we may have talked about this. What is your top must do, must not do to ensure a great DBS experience? The great DBS experience is going to come down to always make sure you have the right expectations. 
Roz. <laughs> no, she, we actually had her on, and she had the she did have the right expectations because right. she had um, Steve to you know that helped her through to mm -hmm. say like don't expect perfection. Yeah. Right. And even though people tell you that, the doctors tell you that, the surgeon tells it's you, you're still yeah yeah you're like oh I'm so gonna excited. get it. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna be that one person. Yeah. DBS is not a cure. DBS is just another treatment, treatment yeah. option. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. The disease is still going to progress. The disease is going to do its thing. Um, but what not to do is, yeah, don't go into it with unrealistic expectations. Mm -hmm. You have to expect that the only role for DBS is to give you the same benefits that levodopa gives you, hopefully consistently throughout the day. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. If there are things that is happening to you, regardless of how much levodopa you take, it doesn't matter. Um, DBS, going into DBS, hoping that DBS will now fix that. No, right. that is not the thing. And you're going to go into it in terms of DBS as a team approach. There's multiple people need to be involved. You need to be at a care center or a site that is uh, involved with DBS because mm -hmm. if something happens to you and you have to go to the hospital, you want to make sure you're somewhere where there is somebody who knows that you have DBS and knows that can help with management of the device if mm -hmm. you need be. Um, so th those are the certain things to kind of, the, probably the, the most important thing to, to keep in mind about DBS um, if and when you're ready for it. One last thing on a positive note. Is there anything that you can talk to us about and like latest research or things that you feel like are coming, not coming out because I know it still takes time, but yeah. anything on the um, horizon? Any clinical trials I people can be a part it. of? Um, yeah, so I mean, obviously if you go to clinicaltrials.org yeah. and the Michael J. Fox Foundation, uh, you'll be able to find all sorts of different clinical trials that, that are going on. Uh, there's always something uh, constantly constantly going mm -hmm. out there. Um, I'm hopeful. For, I, I've talked about it before. I think I'm, I'm hopeful. I've, I've only had positive things about the 24-hour the levodopa infusion pump. Um, almost you know, a lot of patients that, that have had it like it mm -hmm. and they you know even if they experience certain side effects they want to still continue it because mm -hmm. the benefit seems to outweigh all that um so i'm hopeful that uh if and when um the fda approves that that we're going to have uh a much more of a future uh experience great experience for patients yeah. there are new gene therapies potentially coming out there there are treatment different types of treatment options that that i think medicine is now advanced advancing that we could hopefully be able to um, do a lot more for patients yeah. uh, sooner rather than later i'm still energized by the conversation we had with fred from the the staffer of um, yeah. gus bilaracus in florida mm -hmm. They're doing the, they have the National Plan to End Parkinson's Act oh. going through committee right now. And if it, the biggest thing is getting it through committee to get to Congress, but mm -hmm. they feel like once they get it to Congress, it'll, they can okay. pass it. But that's going to bring all the agencies together, the manufacturers, they'll have a patient council, like a whole group to literally create a strategy similar to what they did for that's Alzheimer's yeah. to say, all right, let's all work together, which yeah. sucks that they don't do it to begin with, but right. I get why. <laughs> but it's, you know, putting a plan together. And I think like with every, all those minds together, I mean, we have to, yeah. like, I, I've, I've never felt more hopeful than after that conversation we had. Right. So there's your positive note. There right. we go. I knew I'd find it someplace. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. My pleasure. On. It's awesome thank to have you. Thanks, Dr. Um, so in our last 30 seconds, I will leave you with this. 
There are lots of different things that are going on out there. Don't overwhelm yourself. Take it day by day. Listen to your doctor, but when it comes to things like um, Parkinson's dementia or Alzheimer's, even if it's MSA versus PD versus PSP, the best thing you could do is document your symptoms, document side effects from medications, share them with your doctor and your caregiver so that they can provide you with the best care possible and always consult your doctor whenever you get a chance. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. The Secret Life of Parkinson's is produced by Melissa Carlson and Steve Brandenburg. To contact us, email info at thesecretlifeofpd.org. The Secret Life of Parkinson's is not responsible or liable for any medical advice, diagnosis, course of treatment, or any other information obtained through this podcast. The information provided by The Secret Life of Parkinson's is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you heard on this podcast. You are encouraged to consult a physician for a definitive diagnosis.